She looked at me, incredulous, her jaw hanging open. I had just shared with our confirmation class that I try to go to confession every two weeks. One young woman who sat immediately in front of me was dumbfounded by this, and she wasn't alone. I think some of the students started wondering if Mr. Conley had a secret life of debauchery. But their response told me something about them. I'll, turn, I'll tell you what I learned coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. So glad you could join us for this hour of on-air and online spiritual direction, giving you a bit of help and a bit of hope for your journey with Christ today. I'm your host, Patrick Conley. Upon hearing that I try to go to confession every fortnight or so, the young woman in my confirmation class asked, Really? Do you sin that much? Well, at least she asked the question, right? I sighed and admitted that, yes, I recognize a daily presence and pattern of sin in my life. But her incredulity may have revealed more about her own walk with the Lord than what she bargained for. I love the oft-used analogy that a car's windshield may look spotless when driving away from the light, but steer toward the sun and you'll discover all the blotches, streaks, and stains. Same is true with our spiritual life. As you strive to go closer to the Lord in His light, He inevitably shines all His light on all areas of your life, revealing places where sin perhaps has sat unrecognized, slowly eating away at your relationship with God. I also think that in my confirmation class, uh, we'll need to go over making a good examination of conscience. Now, this isn't something that is only done in preparation for confession, though it should be done then, of course, but something we can actually practice and get better at with the help of God's light and grace. I've got that in mind as I'm putting together lesson plans for future confirmation classes. As for the show today, though, we're getting a jump start on it, considering what goes into making a good examination of conscience and why it's so important to our spiritual life. Joining us as our spiritual director for the hour is Father Rob Kroll. Father Kroll is a Jesuit priest and the director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program, Father. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Patrick, and the same to you and to all of our listeners. I hope that uh, 2024 is off to a good start. Yeah, well, uh, confession and mass for me this morning, so that's a good start for the day anyway, so I'm uh, I'm happy for that. Yes, absolutely. Well, examination of conscience is our topic for today, Father, so maybe let's start with what is a conscience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, a good place to start for our listeners if they want to look it up is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I really like some of the terminology, some of the language that they use in there, and, you know, essentially— our conscience is uh, the voice of God, we can say, uh, and it's, it's a law uh, that's kind of implanted in the depths of our being, you know, that it's God's voice speaking to us in kind of the core or the depth of ourselves. And it's not something, uh, the, the moral law is not something that we create or that we invent. It's something that God is the author of. But uh, we use our conscience in order to discover and uh, apply the moral law to ourselves. and So we can talk about it as a law, we can talk about it as God's voice, um, but it's something that is kind of innate to us. Uh, unfortunately, 
one's conscience can be poorly formed. Uh, one's conscience can even be kind of ignored and, and uh, dulled over time, uh, especially due through sin and, and uh, a failure to uh, form one's conscience, according to certain sources. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the course of the program. But essentially, um, it is uh, this voice of God that, that echoes in the depths of our being. And, and so we're, we're really striving to know what is right, what is true, what is good. And then in, in specific circumstances, our conscience acts to, uh, to guide us so that we can always do what is good and avoid what is evil. And uh, I really like this. Um, in the Catechism, they, they quote uh, Cardinal John Henry Newman, who's now a saint, and he has the statement that conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. We talk about our Holy Father as the vicar of Christ, kind of his representative uh, on earth in the Catholic Church. But you can think about your conscience as this you know, voice of Christ or his kind of representative, as it were, within our very uh, depths, which, uh, which guides us as we seek to... Um, yeah, basically follow the commandments and do God's will and do good and avoid evil and ultimately reach heaven. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that, that formation of conscience that you you brought up there, Father. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to be attentive to, um, that, uh, you know, maybe it was early on in my in my life when I was uh, when I was exposed to the likes of uh, Peter Pan <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, that, you know, Jiminy Cricket is is a kind of letting you know, let your conscience be your guide and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. but it's not just that the conscience in and of itself operates uh, outside of our own experiences and even our own will, right? But that we can, we can basically, what, strengthen and weaken our conscience based on our own actions, our own uh, maybe regard for actions as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. So in terms of that shaping or forming of our conscience, you know, there are a number of sources that I think are really essential for us as Catholics. So one obvious source for us would be the Word of God itself, as we find it in the Scriptures, but also as it comes down to us through the tradition of the Church, through her authoritative teaching. So as we seek to know and to do what is good, and to know and avoid what is evil, you know, regular prayer and reflection upon uh, the Holy Word of God in the Bible, and then educating ourselves in terms of uh, what the Church teaches and and her 2,000 years of of tradition. All of that goes a long way to helping us. Along with that, I would say we can um, avail ourselves of the witness and and the wisdom and and the counsel of other people, especially people that we we believe are, are holy and are uh, on the right path towards salvation, you know. So when we're, especially when we're doubtful or when we're struggling to know what's the right thing to do and how to do it, um, seeking the advice uh, of a wise person is, is a very prudent thing to do. Um, the Holy Spirit comes to our help as well. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit, you know, if we're in a state of grace, the Holy Spirit is living in the depths of our soul and is guiding and inspiring us. So those, all those gifts of the Holy Spirit also come into play when it, when we talk about forming our conscience. And so I think one, you know, kind of on the flip side of that, the other side of the coin is that, um, 
we can easily fall into error when we when we ignore Christ and His teachings and and the and the scriptures, and when we uh, follow, let's say, the bad example, you know, of other people, and we tend to be more formed by cultural values that may be opposed to the gospel. Yeah. And then we have our own sinfulness that can blind us and weaken our will and our and our conscience. And you know, and we know we all know the struggle, the war that happens internally when our passions want to overtake our, our intellect and our, our, our reason and so forth. So, you know, we have also not only the 2000 years of the church um, tradition, but we have just human experience, you know, generally speaking. I mean, we can learn a lot from the mistakes that other people have made, as well as the example of the saints, for example, all of their, um, you know, lives testify to a conscience that's well lived and that is obeyed. So, yeah, so we're not we're not little islands out there trying to do it all by ourselves. We have to be humble enough to say I need I need the help of many other wise uh, voices. Yeah. It seems like something that a conscience uh, although it is this as you as St. John Henry Newman put it, uh, the aboriginal vicar of Christ that the conscience um is something that is gifted to us and, and entrusted to our care like so many things we are meant to be good stewards of our conscience our consciences as well um sharpening them perhaps on some of the ways that you mentioned scripture teaching the church other wise people or perhaps dulling them when we're you know more given over to uh the passions of this world the cultural standards that sort of thing and this strikes me as something that was kind of this maybe is applicable to well, the founder of the Jesuits, right? St. Ignatius of Loyola, when he was laid up in bed and, and had, you know, his reflection time on saying that when he's reading the lives of the saints, there's something going on there. Whereas um, when he kind of delved into kind of earthly thinking and passions, worldly passions, then the, that didn't, that didn't endure. You think there's some kind of connection there too? I do, Patrick. That's uh, helpful that you point that out because um, just to recap a little bit, that experience of St. Ignatius after he was injured in battle and, as you say, was laid up in his family castle for a number of months recuperating, he wanted to keep reading kind of the chivalry novels of the time and kind of the, uh, I don't know if you call them Harlequin romances of the day, but you <laughs> right. know, basically he uh, yeah wanted to keep nourishing himself on these uh, these uh, pieces of literature that reflect, again, kind of not, not the highest uh, principles of, of Christian faith and and all they had in the house at the time was life of Christ and life of the saints and and so he began to read those and and uh, he did still daydream about you know winning a woman's hand and being a hero in battle but when he would when he would entertain those thoughts he realized that once the thoughts were over he was left kind of sad and empty but when he stopped reading the lives of the saints and the life of Christ and he was pondering that material you know, then the the the, uh, the consolation and the the fervor and the joy lasted longer, and so he began to notice that difference. And so I think there is a connection with conscience, because you know, unless our conscience is so dulled uh, that you know it it ceases to function, I think for most people, you know, there is that inner tug or that inner voice saying, you know. Uh, you don't really want to do that because there's something morally wrong about this. Or in hindsight, you know, the conscience is there to kind of um, accuse us, as it were, to convict us of something that we've done uh, that is not holy. And so if we feel some guilt, I know that in our day sometimes we uh, tend to denigrate feelings of guilt as if they're unhealthy, um, and they can be, but 
But thank God we have a conscience that can actually make us feel guilty because that's one of the ways we know that we've done something wrong. And then our conscience leads us to ask for forgiveness. And that's why we have, you know, as you so beautifully testified to your own experience, uh, the sacrament of confession. I mean, we all need that. So, um, yeah, so I think our conscience is, is just so hugely important to living a life of holiness and to knowing what's right and wrong. I mean, imagine just, you know, even our country or your neighborhood, if if people didn't have a conscience, I mean, there'd be all kinds of yeah. horrible acts that, you know, I mean, society couldn't couldn't endure. So, right. you know, so anyway, I think even people without without religious faith, they still have that conscience as part of their human nature. And God still, I mean, God created them, and He's still trying to speak to them in the depths of their heart, even if, um, even if they're not practicing a specific faith, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you think, Father, that uh, a conscience could ever be dulled to the point of basically becoming useless? I mean, is there is there kind of an irrevocable point at which um, conscience is no longer? functioning at all in a person, or is there always at least a, a sliver of hope that maybe conscience will lead to, uh, you know, lead to repentance right. or guilt or, you know, that sort of thing that you were just talking mm-hmm. about? I think because it is such a fundamental part of our human nature, uh, it's very rare. I think that it would be completely inoperative, but I think we would call somebody like a psychopath, for example, who can commit maybe multiple murders without feeling any guilt whatsoever. Now you can ask whether that's also a mental illness. You know, sometimes, for example, when when in, in a court of law, somebody is ruled, you know, incompetent because yeah. of insanity, we don't in any way deny that what they did, you know, whether it was murder or whatever they did is, is we obviously still say it's very evil, but we don't hold them accountable because of their incapacity to really use their conscience because it's been so damaged by uh, by trauma or by sure. insanity or something like that. So I think even legally, we recognize that a person, you know, a person can be absolved of responsibility if their conscience is uh, just not operating. But that that's very very rare. Um, you know, fortunately for the vast majority of us, we even despite our sin and and our maybe lack of formation, we still have a a conscience that is um, whispering to us, sometimes even shouting to us about, you know, what we've done. And, and the conscience is used at different, at different stages too. So, you know, our conscience is already active just as we try to understand certain moral principles, certain moral laws that God has, you know, given us. And then the conscience becomes especially useful when we take those general laws or commands and we try to say, okay, in this particular situation today that I'm facing, what's the right thing to do here? How does it apply here? And I think we all know that there are messy, uh, delicate situations that are really not that obvious. I mean, some things are very obvious, but other things, they take time. We need to pray about them. We need to seek the advice of others. We need to really try to inform our conscience, and then we make the best judgment that we can. And then, and then the conscience is there after the fact to say, okay, I've, I've, I've committed this action or I made this decision. Now, how, how do I evaluate it in hindsight? So the conscience um, is there kind of every step of the way to help mm-hmm. us. Father Rob Kroll is our spiritual director today. We're talking about examination of conscience. Do you have a particular uh, resource that you use for making an examination of conscience? If so, 
What is it, and how often do you utilize that? How do you form your conscience? What sort of things do you expose yourself to to make sure that your conscience is in line with the will of God? Does a daily examination of conscience help you recognize God in your life that day and apply the moral law to your day-to-day decisions? Give us a call and join the conversation, 888-914-9149. That's our toll-free studio line that's sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Number again is 888-914-9149. Our email address, if you'd prefer, is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Well, Father, I so many great things already in this in this conversation, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds before we really get into you know the things that that go about and um, and why developing and, and um, conducting an examination of conscience is so helpful to us, even beyond the the role of preparing for, to make a confession. But um, let's let's for a moment just uh, take a take a look at Scripture and uh, becoming aware of our own shortcomings, our own failings, our own sins, that sort of thing. That seems to be pretty pronounced in Scripture. I mean, one of the one of the things that pops to mind is from John eight, the woman caught in adultery. Um, so there's she's obviously very aware. She's brought it out into the light, literally, that um, she was in the midst of conducting or committing this sin. And that seems to be something that's not necessarily a huge, um, that's not often acknowledged as a good thing in our society at large, as, you know, saying, okay, just own it, you know, own own that you uh, you have committed this sin. But that seems to be part and parcel to an, to an examination of and a formation of conscience. Yes, and therefore, Patrick, there's a great humility that's expected of us, you know, that we don't dodge responsibility, that we don't rationalize and try to justify, but we say, you know, yeah, that I am a sinner, um, that sometimes I, I think and say and do things that are sinful. Sometimes I don't do the good that I'm obligated to do, a sin of omission. And so I think it's very freeing and liberating, actually, to be able to just own that, as you said, and to name it for what it is, because that, that's then the prelude to um, making a change and to asking God to forgive me, and if necessary, asking somebody else to forgive me as well. Um, you know, I don't know if our listeners are attending Mass this week, but we're hearing readings at Mass that come from the first letter of John, and he is talking a lot about uh, sin. You know, like even today's reading, which I'm looking at, it says, um, children, let no one deceive you. The person who acts in righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. So that's kind of like the conscience working well. Yeah. Whoever sins belongs to the devil, because the devil has sinned from the beginning. Um, no one who is begotten by God commits sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he is begotten by God. Um, so, he, and you know, at another point in the letter, he says, you know, the one who says he, I'm not, he, the one who says he doesn't sin is a liar, you know? So John's mm-hmm. pretty blunt about the fact that, you know, basically, except for our blessed mother, uh, and of course the Lord himself, we're, we're all sinners. Yeah. Um, and that ultimately sin is a betrayal of our conscience, uh, in some way, you know, that are, we're not listening attentively enough to our conscience, trying to guide us and steer us in the right direction. So that story of the woman caught in adultery, you know, she, uh, the Lord is not there to condemn her, of course, but he does say, go and sin no more, you know? And so, you know, you hope that after that encounter with the Lord, she is uh, a, a reborn woman and that her conscience is going to kick in and, and uh, help her to, you know, re- avoid 
some of the sins of her past. Um, you know, the thing, too, about conscience that we haven't maybe mentioned yet in the program is um, for the church, the conscience is so like personal and so central that the church would say, I always have to follow my conscience, even if it's erroneous objectively. If I, you know, if I've tried to discern what's right and I come to this conclusion that this is it, this is the act I need to do, then I'm really obligated to do it. Now, if I haven't formed my conscience well, that's a problem. Because sometimes today people will say, well, I'm just following my conscience as if it's hugely subjective and basically gives me permission to do whatever, whatever I want to, whatever, sure. you know, is kind of on a whim. No, 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 not at all. The church is very clear that we have to form our conscience properly. But the conscience, because it is that, that kind of inner core of our being, um, once we've made that effort to discern and, and done all we can to be prudent, we have to follow it. And in fact, the church would say that no one can be obligated to not follow their conscience, you know, and that's especially in the area of religious freedom. And we think about all the, um, you know, conscientious objectors, for example, throughout history. We think about yep. Martin Luther King and how he didn't follow certain laws dealing with, uh, you know, race. And so we admire people who can actually, like when the, in the time of the Nazi era, for example, who could stand up to the, the powers that be and, and, and remain faithful to their conscience, even if it meant imprisonment or death. Um, saints, you know, many great saints, of course, in that category. So I, I'm just highlighting like how central I think following our conscience is for the church. That's very good. Good and wise words from our spiritual director, Father Rob Cole. We're talking about examination of conscience today here on the program. Maybe you have questions about how to form your conscience and, and or how to go through and make a good examination of conscience and how often you should do that, which we'll get into after our break. But give us a call and join the conversation. We'd love to have you on the air at 888-914-9149. Again, the number is 888-914-9149. And as always, our email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We're going to be back with more of the program and more of the conversation after this short break. Stay with us. Thanks to our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD's rigorous liberal arts education forms the mind and nourishes the soul to produce graduates who renew our culture. Find out more and access a free guide on choosing a college at relevantradio.com slash UDallas. When I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep. I fall asleep counting my blessings. Welcome back to the Inner Life. Ushered back into this segment of the program with Bing Crosby there. Can't go far wrong with him, yeah. And we are talking about examination of conscience today. And our spiritual director is Father Rob Kroll, Jesuit priest and director of spiritual formation at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in Milwaukee. So, Father, um, excellent conversation thus far, and uh, we have we have had a couple phone calls come in. So let's go now to Barbara calling in from New Jersey. Good afternoon, Barbara. Welcome to The Inner Life. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much. Um, I, I just I don't know if Father is going to be addressing this or not, but I have all my life struggled with examination of conscience due to having OCD and scrupulosity. 
and I'm working very hard at overcoming that. But I'm wondering if there's any suggestions how to do an examination of conscience with keeping the proper balance in there without going into the OCD and scrupulosity. Yeah, that's a great question, Barbara. And I've worked with a number of people over the course of my priesthood that had, in some cases, quite severe uh, scrupulosity or OCD. So I I appreciate um, the difficulty sometimes when it comes to examining one's conscience and, and specifically, you know, trying to prepare for confession because it can seem for a person afflicted with that condition that everything is sinful or, or very small sins are seem like they're very large mortal sins. Um, you know, I guess uh, it's a it's a difficult thing to kind of uh, offer, you know, in a, in a brief moment like this, a, a, a help to that. But I think staying close to... Um, you know, like the well, there's a number of different examinations of conscience that I was going to recommend for the for the program today. Um, I've seen some good ones that take the Ten Commandments, for example, and under each commandment, they'll have some very specific questions um, that will help a person to examine their conscience in that area. Um, I've also seen others that deal with the seven deadly sins. Uh, taking each one in turn and, and again, breaking it down into sort of very concrete, practical areas of, of examination. I wonder if maybe for yourself and other people that might struggle with OCD and scruples, uh, an examination of conscience based on the Beatitudes might be helpful. I've seen those as well because they don't um, focus so so specifically on deadly sins, but they're looking at more like virtues and trying to help a person to examine their life in, ter- in, in the light of what's, what's good and true and beautiful and positive. I also want to highlight, I think in other programs I've mentioned this as well, that there, there is a, uh, a group that the Redemptorists um, have a website, an, uh, Scrupulous Anonymous, and they have a lot of good resources that help uh, a person struggling with that. And I think they also have um, some resources specifically for examination of conscience. I know Father Thomas Santa, uh, here we are in Christmas season, so that's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Father Santa has written uh, some good things about this as well. So I would I would steer anybody who might be listening and who's dealing with OCD or scruples to, to check out the Redemptorist uh, apostolate um, um, called Scrupulous Anonymous. That might be very helpful as well. Barbara, thanks for the call. And uh, Father, as you said, I think that that's probably something that goes through the minds of many people, too, and how to avoid overscrupulosity when we're talking about an examination of conscience. And that website is scrupulousanonymous.org, so feel free to check that out and, as and well. And I would say, too, Patrick, if I can yeah. add this for Barbara Please. and others, you know, I think that um, because a scrupulous or OCD person themselves often doubts their own judgment and they, they often get tied up in a lot of knots, that's where a good um, confessor or spiritual director, somebody outside of themselves can really yeah. reassure them. Because, you know, 99, my experience is 99% of the time, what they think is, is sinful really isn't. And so I think hearing another person, especially an authority in the church and somebody with competence and training, to hear them say, no, you know, you're, you're not sinning in this area is really helpful. And then for all of us, not just people with OCD and scruples, but for all of us to remember that when we're talking about confession 
and an examination of conscience, it's ultimately meant to be a liberating, joyful thing because we, we know that God is mercy. We know that God always forgives our sins when we humbly approach him. So, so that's got to be the focus. It's, it's, it's not primarily on the sin itself, but it's saying, um, I'm a sinner, but I'm loved and I'm forgiven and I'm saved by Jesus Christ. And yeah. so to keep the focus on what's really positive and true, I think, is important. I think it's very important, and I'm glad you brought it up, Father, that it is a liberating and joyful thing. That's the, I mean, that it's all drawing us back into reconciliation with the Lord who loves us so much and gave up his own life that we might be reconciled to the Father, right? So I think it's an excellent point. Thank you for bringing it up. Barbara, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Let's go now to Mary calling in from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mary, welcome to The Inner Life. Thanks for calling. Uh, Yes, I... um I just wanted to ask, you know, when I look at um, different examines of conscience uh, and I identify something that I think I should confess, I want to know if, um, well, they don't, they never tell you if it's something's a mortal sin or a venial sin. And I know I learned, well, I know that they taught us that in, in <laughs> when I was seven years old, but you know, they don't go into all the details because what a seven-year-old can understand and what, say, a teenager can understand is, is different. And so I, I kind of make a judgment, well, you know, it was only a pencil. I'm not, you know, this can't be a mortal sin, you know, but in, in a way I've always thought of stealing and murder are mortal sins, but I think it has to do with the a lot of other factors. And so I'm wondering, how does one decide when one's, committed a mortal or venial sin. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. That's a, that's a good question. And, you know, I think traditionally that the Catholic Church has taught that for something to be a mortal sin, it has to fulfill three conditions. So first of all, it has to be something objectively serious or grave in itself. And you mentioned examples like murder or adultery or whatever. And But, you know, there are smaller sins also that, objectively speaking, the Church would say this is now crossing the line into mortal sin. The second condition is I have to have full knowledge that it is a mortal sin. Um, so as I'm committing a sin, I need to be aware that I'm that I'm engaging in a mortal sin. And then the third condition, and this one is, is I think, in my mind, the one that's really kind of most important in, the, in terms of judgment, is that I have to have full consent of the will. And that's where, at times, what is objectively a mortal sin might be for a given individual uh, a venial sin because of the fact that, for example, just to use a common example, let's say somebody who is caught up in a habitual uh, sexual sin, um, that person might know objectively that it's seriously wrong. They might you know, be having that knowledge, and, and, and yet maybe because of the, ha- the habit strength, and the frequency and the, with which they've fallen into it, they, um, they are not fully consenting each time. Now, that doesn't mean that they're off the hook. I mean, obviously, all of us need to be striving for holiness and virtue, and that means if I am caught up in a habit of sin, I need to do all that I can to try to grow under, you know, with God's grace so I don't sin anymore. But I just use that as an, as an example because... Um, you know, sometimes a person's uh, will can be, um, you know, uh, weakened. Uh, And uh, 
So I hope that helps a little bit. But, um, you know, I think that's part of the catechesis or the education is helping people to, to know, like, what falls into the category of mortal sin, objectively speaking, but then also to let them know that, uh, you know, they may not always have full consent. Uh, there might be undue pressures. You know, I'm thinking about, for example, somebody who, um, in, in a fit of rage or anger, might uh, do something that is objectively, it's a serious act, but they weren't fully in control of their will because of the passion of anger. Now, again, they, they, they have to deal with that. They have to start dealing with that so it doesn't happen again. But I hope that that's kind of bringing some clarity to the issue, that it's not enough just to say, well, objectively speaking, it's really grave because, uh, yeah, I may not have full control over over my actions. Yeah, Mary, thank you so much for the call. Father, thank you for the clarification on that. That's uh, It's good to know, and it's uh, that bit of catechesis is always really helpful when we're talking about an examination of conscience, which is our, our topic for the show today with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll. If you have further questions about an examination of conscience, give us a call at 888-914-9149 or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Father, we did have an email come in, too, that I think is uh, worthy of, of putting on the air as well from Carolyn. She says, she writes that, uh, I love that you were speaking on this topic. It's, it's been on my mind lately. And basically, she said, her question is this, how do you approach confession and your examination of conscience when you feel like you keep committing the same venial sins each day? And if you go to confession often, you feel like you're just confessing the same things repeatedly. <laughs> so, so that's uh, that I I gotta say, Carolyn, you are not alone in that boat. Let me tell you. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Father, how would you respond to that? Yeah. Well, my first response, because this comes up quite frequently in my work as a spiritual director or sure. retreat master and confessor, and you know, my first response is usually kind of tongue in cheek, saying, "Well." it's probably better that you keep coming with the same venial sins than coming with like 20 brand new sins every <laughs> single time. Right. So, yes. but, but I think, you know, what I, what I mean by that is, you know, each of us, we have a particular history, we have a particular, you know, personality and makeup. And, you know, I think we all have certain vulnerabilities where we tend to be weak in certain areas. We're not all weak in the same way when it comes to the moral life and certain sins, uh, because of maybe wounds that we've, you know, experienced or just formation we've received, um, certain sins may have more of a hold over us than others. And so I know it can be discouraging to feel like I'm always going back with those same sins again and again, but I think um, we have to first of all realize that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He, he knows our particular proclivities towards sin. And, and, and he's, you know, he's God. So he's infinitely patient. He's infinitely kind and gentle. You know, Jesus even says not seven times, but 77 times, right. meaning every time we have to forgive our brother. Well, that's how God treats us. So even if we, till the day our dying breath, we struggle with the same darn sins, we get impatient with ourselves, but God is always patient and loving and understanding. So that's really important. The other thing is, just because I'm still struggling with the same sins doesn't mean necessarily that I haven't experienced any growth. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe they're they're just a little less frequent than they used to be, or or maybe the same sins don't um, get me 
bent out of shape as much because I'm more trusting now in God's mercy and forgiveness. And so without excusing myself or being lax, I, I, I'm more humble and I'm not so prideful. Sometimes our frustration with our sins is a sign of pride because it's like, well, I should be perfect, you know, at this point. Well, I'm, I'm not. And so I have to be very humble and childlike and say, yeah, uh, only by God's grace am I able to do anything. And so there's a, there's a certain like um, peacefulness that can, that we shouldn't get too overly distraught by our sins as if we should be super surprised by them because yeah, I mean, even with all the, the spiritual helps that we get, we're, we're still fallen. And until we get to heaven, we're, we're going to struggle. So anyway, those would be some things I, I guess I would, I would offer as, as uh, words of advice. Yeah. For and maybe going hand in hand with that father, it, it, Carolyn also asks, and I think it's a good question too, is that, is there a way to maybe conduct a deeper or perhaps slightly different examination of conscience, yeah. maybe to bring to awareness some of the sins that you've been neglecting to recognize because you're caught up in the same, you know, repetitive sins. Yeah, no. And that's, and that's where I think um, a really good examination of conscience that's like printed out mm-hmm. is very helpful. And I've seen some, I mentioned already that, that there are different ones based on either the 10 commandments or the seven deadly sins or the beatitudes. But I've also shared like with the seminarians in my seminary here, I've, I've shared an examination of conscience specifically geared to seminarians. I have one that's specifically uh, geared towards priests. I've seen others that are are geared to even certain professions, like a person, let's say a politician or somebody who has um, certain authority in society. You know, maybe they have certain um, situations that they're dealing with that others aren't. So I would encourage all of us to go find online, you know, a, a good examination of conscience and maybe... Maybe uh, every year you, um, you know, or even more frequently than that, you might find a whole new one that might have a different set of questions. Um, so it isn't enough just to sit down on our own and, and examine our conscience before confession. I think, um, I think having a tool, a, a, an examination of conscience that has a, a long list of supporting questions can be very helpful because like you say, Patrick, it can open up our eyes to something that maybe we would not have considered on our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Well, this is it continues to be a fantastic conversation on examination of conscience with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll. If you have questions about making a good examination of conscience and need a little direction in that way, that's what we're here for. Give us a call at 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. we got still more of the conversation coming up after another short break. We'll be back right after this. Thanks to our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers. UD's rigorous liberal arts education forms the mind and nourishes the soul to produce graduates who renew our culture. Find out more and access a free guide on choosing a college at relevantradio.com slash udallas. Back to the inner life. My name is Patrick Conley. My thanks to Nick Sentovich, our producer, and Thomas Engus are taking your phone calls today. 
If you haven't yet done it, go over to relevantradio.com slash encounter and check out Father Rocky's latest Eucharistic encounter video. Father Rocky's been telling stories on a weekly basis that have just showing uh, the power of Christ actually, obviously, very present to us in the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist. And he's got a great story this week on three times that he he encountered God. Yeah. Uh, doing something with the weather. I'll leave it at that. And uh, when it comes in and around the Eucharist, we're talking today about making an examination of conscience with our spiritual director, Father Rob Kroll. Father, I was just uh, looking on the Relevant Radio app, and indeed there is on the Relevant Radio app an examination of conscience that's right there. So let me plug people to get the newly updated Relevant Radio app. Uh, check that out. You just go to the pray uh, section. You go to confession helper, and there's an examination of conscience that has um, actually it has some that are for adults and some that are for children as well. So there's uh, oh. some good things there. The USCCB also has a list of uh, different examinations of conscience that are worth checking out as well. But let's get into let's get into the just some of the some of the things that go into making a good examination of conscience outside of you know the actual questions themselves. Um, you know, obviously, I think this is probably not something that we should just do kind of haphazardly or maybe, you know, uh, we're multitasking and thinking, oh, yeah, and I should do this and, and that sort of thing. But we need to make time for it. Right, Father? Uh, we do, Patrick. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that's helpful when it comes to examining our conscience before confession is um, to actually, you know, kind of maybe catalog some of the sins that we're aware of um, each day. So I know that we would take time to pray about um, sins before going to confession. And when you go to confession regularly, like like you you were suggesting, you know, you go maybe every two weeks. I mean, that's a relatively short amount of time, but, you know, it becomes more difficult if a person goes, let's say, quarterly or something like that. And so one of the things that can be helpful is, as, I, as I'm aware in the evening, um, for those of us that pray night prayer as part of the uh, breviary or the liturgy of the hours, it, it includes a brief examination of conscience and, you know, whether a person does that or, or, or can just separately each day, you know, maybe before going to bed, just, just do a, a brief examination of conscience. And if you're aware of any sins, you might note them down either in a, in a journal or, you know, I, on my phone, sometimes I'll um, put, you know, a note in there. And so that when I go to confession, uh, I've already, got this kind of running list, as it were, of, of uh, sins that I'm aware of. So it's still valuable to sit down with the, the examination of conscience tool that we've been talking about. But I think uh, if we're really serious about trying to make a confession that's um, thorough and complete, I, I think um, noting down sins as we are aware of them is, uh, is also a, a helpful practice. Yeah, yeah. That's very good. I appreciate that, Father. Thank you for that. Let's go back to the phones, and we're going to take Jaime. Jaime is calling in from San Antonio, Texas. Jaime, welcome to the Inner Life. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call, uh, Patrick, and hello, Father. Just one of, one of my resolutions, especially for being a father of four babies, I really wanted to kind of just uh, make some changes on my daily life and, and uh examination of conscience is one of the things that my wife and I spoke about and, you know, the benefits of just kind of examining your, what your day did. And, and, uh, she said one of the things, and it's been pretty helpful as far, I've only been doing it for three days. So I'm, I'm taking time on a nightly basis to ha- spend some time with, with, in prayer. 
And one of the things that's really led to that time is uh, having a list of three things. The number one is spending about one to two minutes of the thank yous for the what you did to, for the day. Um, whether it's getting up in the morning or drinking a cup of coffee, hugging your children at breakfast, um, whatever, being in front of uh, customers, just all the thank yous. And, and then I spent another minute or two of missed opportunities, um, whether it was um, not saying hi to somebody on the street, you know, when they were clearly right in front of me, um, little things like that. And then the last uh, section would be just uh, keeping an, keep being a little bit more aware of what's to come for the following day, you know, keeping an eye on Christ-like things. And that's been, uh, especially for the last couple of days, that's been pretty pretty good because when I was thinking about it, I'd always say, what did you do yesterday? Or people would ask me, what did you do? And I'm like, man, I could barely remember what I did for breakfast, but yesterday is far away. And with that daily examination of conscience, it's really, really helped me um, keep an eye on things and being a little bit more aware of what my daily activities have uh, mm. been, what encounters I've had. So that's that's just my input. I'm sure there's a lot more great stuff that people can offer, but, you know, this, this is what's been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Well, Jaime, thanks for calling and sharing that. And uh, that's really awesome that you're doing that every night, and I encourage you to keep doing it. And it's kind of fun. I'm, I'm kind of smiling uh, on the end of the phone here because um, Patrick and I have been talking about whether, you know, in the course of the program we might distinguish a more narrow examination of conscience designed for confession, which is kind of focused on sin, distinguishing that from what we Jesuits call uh, the examine. And we've we've um, had programs, I know, in the past on this, and, and so I'm sure some of our listeners are aware of it and may even practice it. But that's essentially what you just said, is, you know, we can take time at the end of our day to look over our day, primarily looking for gratitude, like you said, the thank yous, um, and uh, but also within that we can we can look for you mentioned missed opportunities so i would you know use that as maybe a another way of saying um sins of omission but part of that examination of the day is yeah where where did i fail to love god and love my neighbor um either by actively doing something wrong or by failing to do what's right and then the ignatian examine ends with kind of a look ahead to tomorrow and entrusting the coming day to God's grace and, and looking ahead to see if there's anything maybe in particular, a meeting or some important event that I want to be entrusting to God. So what you summarized is is really a great form of prayer that all of us can practice. And it's a little bit more global, a little more broad, a little broader than the specific examination of conscience that we use for, um, for confession. But, but both are really, are really valuable things. So I know I'm glad you called in and shared that. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. And Father, it seems like the two, the examination of conscience and and then the daily examine, I mean, they're kind of, they're somewhat mutually uh, supportive and edifying, yeah? I mean, they that one kind of helps the other. They are. No, I, I agree with you entirely, Patrick. And and I guess, you know, I do a nightly examine myself, and, uh, and I think um, I appreciate the fact that, you know, part of that involves looking, you know, to see where I may have have sinned, um, or I may not have um, done God's will. But I also think, and maybe this goes back to to uh, Barbara's uh, 
question about OCD scruples. Yeah. You know, I think it's helpful to kind of keep the examination of our sinful part of our life in the broader context of uh, all the ways that God wants to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, that every day, even if I do sin, I also help build up the kingdom, and God's proud of me in various ways. And He's he blesses me and is so good to me that I can say thank you, thank you, thank you all the time. So a lot of it is focused on gratitude, including gratitude for His mercy and forgiveness when I do sin. So I just think that's that's uh, it's helpful to keep the you know, the, the sin reality in this broader context of who is God and, and I'm his son or daughter whom he loves and forgives. And, and I can be grateful for so many ways that I, I actually do, uh, the will of God in my life. Yeah. I think that's a very important point too, father, that, uh, if we just get bound up in all the ways that we fail, then it actually can have a detrimental effect on our relationship with God because I think we start viewing God as this, you know, kind of uh, very harsh and, you know, demanding judge who's just waiting for us to slip up, whereas... Right, just a policeman that wants to catch us in the, the next crime. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, Father, just in the last couple minutes here before we ask for your blessing, um, say somebody hasn't been to confession for a long time. Maybe it's been months or even years since somebody's been to confession, but they're looking at getting back into the confessional. They're feeling that nudge from the Lord to, to yeah. Any suggestions on how they might make a proper examination of conscience before a confession that, you know, may cover a number of months or years? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've had people come in and, and have actually said it's been a number of decades. And, you know, my wow. first words are always, you know, welcome back. And it's so good that you're coming back. Um, but you're right. If it's been a long time, then I think it is important for that person to take extra time to really examine their conscience. And it's not about being, you know, like you're not trying to be super nitpicky and try to recall every single little sin from the last number of years. You know, that's probably impossible anyway. But it is important to recall primarily, you know, any any serious, grave, mortal sin for sure. But then also just trying to look for patterns of sin, you know, that maybe in this last number of months or years, you know, there there are these five or six ways that I've, you know, primarily been failing in my relationship with the Lord and with my neighbor and trying to kind of keep the focus on, on those patterns as you know, and then and then beyond that, you know, trying to mention specific sins if they're very uh, serious or, or grave. But um, yeah, but again, even for that person who's been away for a long time, the the focus is on God's action. God is forgiving them, and yeah. they should go with great joy and confidence. Yeah, His mercy endures forever. Thanks be to Indeed. God. Yeah, Father, it's been a great conversation on examination of conscience. May we have your blessing, please? Sure. Heavenly Father, I ask you to send down your Holy Spirit upon all of our listeners, and especially anyone who may be far from you now or hasn't gone to confession in a long time. Please inspire them to return and to receive your mercy and love. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of our listeners and remain with them forever. Amen. Amen. Just as a reminder, you can always hear this show again or any of our shows at relevantradio.com slash inner life. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Lord, which we celebrate on Monday with Father Tom Wilson. Until then, grace and peace.